scripture reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 20. And I shall read to you. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, saying you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I say to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I pray to the Lord, to the God of heaven, and I say to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be done, gone, and when will you return? So he pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I say to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officer of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it did please them greatly that someone has come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dunk gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we, we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they say, let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Gershom the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us now seek the Lord's blessing. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, once again for giving us a time whereby your people can come as one, Lord, to worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word. And thankful, Lord, for giving us faithful servants in time past, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin, the host of reformers who have, who have brought the word of God back to your people. And we are thankful to you, Lord, for the Reformation movement that began hundreds of years ago. Now we are living, even living on this legacy, and how we treasure, Lord, Lord, the Reformation truth which, which we have brought about, even through the renewal of our church and of our servants. Once again, we pray, will be pleased to renew us by your word. They will be pleased even to use your unprofitable servant or to bring forth your word. Pray that your word will fall on good ground. That our, we will receive your word in faith and in meekness. Be tender to your word that it may bring forth much fruit for your glory. Help us, O Lord. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are on a series on the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1 to 7, which is really a prequel to my earlier series from the same book, from chapter 8 to 13. That was some years ago, and we need not wait for 20 years for a prequel, unlike some, uh, unlike the Star Wars trilogy. Now we learn from our last sermon that by the good hand of the Lord, some 50,000 Jews have returned to their promised land after 70 years of exile to rebuild the house of God in 538 BC. Some of us may think that it's a light thing to do, but imagine their grandchildren or great-grandchildren returns back to their homeland. And I think none of us here ever returned back to our ancestral village in China. We may not even know where we come from or what is our grandparents' name or great-grandparents' name. But the Jews, by the good hand of the Lord, some 50,000 returned back to the Promised Land after 70 years of living in exile. However, the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, the city of God, had been lying in ruins for almost 150 years since the exile. You see, when they come back from the exile, they did not rebuild the city gates nor the walls of Jerusalem. Yes, they managed to finish building a simple house of God for worship, but they left off the building of the walls and gates of Jerusalem. And that lasted another 80 years. It's another 80 years before the walls and gates of Jerusalem was being rebuilt. Now the walls of Jerusalem, they are there to protect the city of God, the people living in it, and the house of God from their unfriendly neighbours, and there are many of them. And rest assured, there are many enemies of God in times past, as well as it is now. The unbelieving world would react against the people of God because we tell them that they are sinners, that they need a saviour, and they need to come to Christ. And worst of all, to them, the Christians expose their sinful deeds right before their eyes. When Nehemiah, the cupbearer in the king's palace, heard of the low situation of God's people from his brother, he is overwhelmed with grief. We read that in chapter 1. He is sick, the Lord, in mourning, in fasting, and in praying for many days. 
and I believe the Lord has impressed upon his heart to go back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to seek for the good of his people. But he probably has no idea how he is going to do it and when he can do it. You see, as a cupbearer in the king's palace, he is leading a rich and comfortable life. Yes, things just looks around him, but he is living a comfortable and rich life as a cupbearer. The person next to the king, literally. However, his treasures are in heaven. And he is ready to say no. Like Martin Luther, say no to earthly goods and kindred and to say yes to God to embark on this work of faith for the Lord's glory. Now four months have passed since Nehemiah received the bad news from his brother. Meanwhile, and most probably he is praying for the Lord's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray, right? To pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now the four months or four years or 40 years of preparation and waiting to do the work of faith it's important for anyone who wants to serve the Lord in the area that the Lord has called him to. It could be teaching a Sunday school class. It could be leading a Bible study group. It could be mending the AV system. It could be doing dishes at home, taking diapers. It could be writing a business report for your boss or submit a marketing plan for the coming year. Now, preparation and even waiting for the men of God in the work of faith are needful, very needful. Nehemiah could have rushed into the work immediately when he heard about the distress of his people and of the city of Jerusalem but he did not and likewise if you can remember the Apostle Paul after his conversion he quite rushed into the work of the ministry given his character and given his personality as he would have rushed in and, but no he waited he prepared himself in the desert of Arabia for a long for a period of time to prepare himself to serve the Lord. And preparation for the men of God in the work of faith are especially needful in the following areas. The first area will be character or character building. Hey, that will include things like the person's integrity the person's purity and the person's faithfulness in the work of the Lord. I need not to mention to you how integrity is such an important mark or trademark of not only the men of God but anyone who are serving, especially men who are putting up on the pedestal. We have seen all world leaders fail because of integrity problem. They, they are yes, it's not yes, they are no, it's not no. Interestingly, you know, their no is also not no. They give a lot of misinformation to the world when they give their state of the address to them. And because of this misinformation which they tell the world or tell to their own nation, subsequently they will cover their misinformation with more inf misinformation and end of the day, yeah, you know, a scandal breakouts, and then they cannot cover it anymore. There's this, that person can be the most capable person in the country, but yet because of integrity problem or issues, led to his downfall. 
How about parity? Parity is another area where not only men face it, women also face it. Keeping ourselves moral purity. And again, we've seen that even in churches, how church leaders fall because of moral impurity. I need not to mention to you the cases. It has become a public scandal for the world to laugh at the church. And also faithfulness. Or what my youth leader, when he was a young man, he would tell us something like, we must have this stickability in our service for the Lord. Stickability in our service for the Lord. Which everything we are doing, we must have this stickability or faithfulness. We are given a task to do. Do it well, do it faithfully, complete it. And again, there are many promising servants of the Lord who begin one thing or begin many, 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 many things and never see to their completion. It's a big loss to the kingdom of God and to themselves. And they initiate many things, many good ideas, but yet not see to its completion. So these are the three areas for your consideration. And also, preparation for the person or the man of God in the service is also needful in the area of what I call uh, the development of grace and gift things or in short, spiritual formation we have to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to work in our hearts to produce the fruits of the Spirit and the Spirit of God has given us, each one of us, at least a gift that need to be developed with the help of with the assistance of the Holy Spirit so this spiritual formation part no one can force it on you I will not go to you and try to force you to be joyful force you to be loving only the Holy Spirit can do a deeper work in our hearts and may we pray let us pray to the Lord that the Lord will do a deeper work in our hearts in our graces, in the fruit of the Spirit, and also in our gifting. Another area whereby we need to develop. We need to spend time to prepare and to wait upon the Lord. Of course, another area will be spiritual and also your mental maturity. <clears throat> the service of the Lord. Scripture has laid down very clearly that no novice are to be admitted into the service of the Lord. We must have a certain level of spiritual as well as mental maturity. That is helpful. That is needful for the kingdom of God, for the progress of the kingdom of God. So I remember when I was a young man, much uh, I aspire to be a Sunday school teacher. I think I told this story before. But my Sunday school teacher looked at me and said, well, I think you need some more training. And then I end up doing cutting, cutting paper for the children in the Sunday school. I do cutting, a lot, a lot of cutting. Cutting of shapes, cutting of Bible characters. In those days, we used phenograph, so we need to take up the the Bible characters and they stick on the final graph to tell a Bible story. Unlike now, you use your tablet. So easy. But in those days, I had to cut out that, that figuring and paste onto the final graph. And I'm in charge to also mend the final graph, I remember. We buy a piece of the, the cloth and then use a cardboard and then we make many, many final graphs. I think you all don't know what's final graph. Never mind. This site know what is called final graph. But that's how I begin and how one should begin as the Lord works in our hearts in spiritual formation as well as spiritual maturity and step by step we move on of course one more area that I will, not, I will not want to miss is that is knowledge that we need to prepare ourselves in the area of knowledge and not just theoretical knowledge theoretical knowledge is easy you just throw the person a textbook and read through this is many theology textbook cover to cover 
He seems to know. No, he doesn't know. It's only theoretical knowledge. We need practical knowledge. How to work out that doctrine in your life. And how does that doctrine mean to you in your life? That's more important than the theoretical knowledge of that doctrines or that truths in the scripture. And I remember again my Sunday school, at least in the old system that I was in, all the Sunday school teachers had to go through a simple Bible survey course. We must at least know the content of the Bible, no matter how simple it is, before we are allowed to teach, allowed to be assistant, or for me allowed to even cut the Bible characters. So that is important. Basic Bible knowledge. And of course, we build on that. That is preparation period. Very needful, helpful, effective for God's kingdom. And I'm still, I still remember all the Bible lessons you have gone through as a Sunday school teacher then. The simple Bible survey course that I went through. The simple doctrinal course that I went through. It helps to form my foundation to what I am today. And of course, we have noted a period of preparation. It's maybe four months for a longer time for Nehemiah. But his, the period of waiting is also essential. And I know no one wants to wait. When your boss asks you for a report, he actually wants it yesterday and not today. And not even next and not, not even tomorrow. He wants it on his table yesterday. Nobody wants to wait. Yes, but not one has to wait upon him, to wait upon the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is, is not something new. We know that from the scriptures that Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years for the arrival of Isaac, the child of the promise. 25 years. How many 25 years do you have in your life? This group may not think 25 years is a lot, but this group here knows 25 years. How many 25 years do you have in your life? Three, three times 25 years at most? If not, we add another five more years. You have four score years on this earth. But Abraham had to wait for 25 years. A long time waiting, not 25 minutes for the next bus. No, it's 25 years for a child. The child of promise. Why that? His belief Believing God, it's not his work of righteousness that accounted him for his salvation. He to show us believing, believing God. Faith is the key. The key lesson which we have learned. We have learned and he's teaching us today. How about Joseph from the pit to the prison and finally to the palace took almost 13 years. And then it was another 7 to 10 years before he could be reunited with his father and brothers. That's about another 20 years or so. So from a time he was cast into the pit, so away as a slave, to a time he can meet his father and his brothers, it's about 20 years. Of course, why this waiting for him? That he can learn to see the providence of the Lord. How the Lord has been providential in his dealings with him from one place to another. And also, I, of course, I'm just guessing here that if he would have to meet his brothers earlier, he may not be able to handle them. Can you handle someone who has just punched you on the face the next uh, half an hour later? You can't. You'll be filling with loss of anger, loss of bitterness. You cannot handle the person. And for, for Joseph, he had to see the very group of brothers who have sold him into slavery, who have torn him apart from his family, from his father, and from his beloved brother. Maybe 20 years is a good time for healing to set in. It may be more, it may be less, but Overall, it is, you could see the providence of the Lord working in his life. And that's why he's, he waited. How about the ages, Simeon and Anna? They waited all their lifetime. Just to see the consolation of Israel. 
as a baby boy walking into the temple that is waiting and they walk away full of gladness and joy because they have seen the consolation of Israel the Messiah the long waited as Messiah again we bring down to modern times Martin Luther he spent almost 10 months in hiding and disguised as a knight in the Warburg castle after the deed of Worms before he could return to the work of reformation in Wittenberg so he had to be hiked Martin Luther spent 10 months in the castle disguised as a monk to hide away from the persecutors of course that time was not wasted in a sense he reread the bible again because he translated the bible into german from latin and from the greek manuscript that he have in possession and there he reads through the new testament again as well as the bible again to prepare himself for the work that is set before him so let us pray let us be prepared and let us wait on the Lord and those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall maul up with wings as eagles they shall run and not faint it is the promise of God if we know the preparation for the work of faith now we come again to one of Nehemiah if one thing we have we can learn from the love of Nehemiah is he is a prayer warrior he's praying for the work of faith from verse 3 to verse 8 we read here this account where the king saw that he's set now can you be set before the king and the king is having a Canaanite dinner with his wife the queen everything needs to be not only romantic but be joyful to be wholesome that's i hope we are having our canine dinner with our wife in such a manner but yet the cup bearer is putting on a very sad countenance he looks sad and he is sad and the king knows that he is sad there's nothing but sadness of, of the heart not only apparently he looks sad, but in his heart he's sad. And he asks Nehemiah a question. Why, why are you sad? Have I not been paying you well? Maybe, no. And at the moment, what will you do if you are Nehemiah at the moment? He's, Nehemiah admitted that he was afraid. Correct. He feared. Of, that's normal. But he did the next best thing. He did the next most important thing actually. He prayed. He prayed to the Lord. He shoot a prayer to the Lord. Chapter 1 he prayed, chapter 2 he prayed, and throughout you can see he's a prayer warrior. He prayed. He seek, he prayed to the God of heaven. Not only the God of Israel, but God of heaven. He acknowledges the sovereignty of God over the whole creation. And he prayed to the God of heaven. Even the God of Israel. Important for us to come to the Lord in prayer. Praying is important for the work of faith. It can be instantaneous prayer like Nehemiah in chapter 2, or it could be a long prayer in chapter 1. Whether long or short prayer, deliberate time of prayer, or just show the prayer to the Lord, mm, we must pray and pray without ceasing. The laws may be favorable to us. So we have lack of wisdom. When you put on the spot, like Nehemiah, what do you do? Do you pray? Or do you give a piece of misinformation again to, the, to your boss who asks you for something? And we also note here that our sovereign God is the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. He ruled over the pagan king. And the pagan king, Adasazus, he was favorable to Nehemiah and to his request. He applied leave on the spot. 
and the king granted him his leave. Okay, the king said, "Give me a set time. How long do you want to take your leave?" It could be months, it can be years. We are not told. But the king approved his leave, and he might even ask for to give me letters to the governor beyond the province. And also, can I use your the wood that comes from the forest to build? So he and yet the, and the king agrees, and the king agreed to his request. Amazing, isn't it? And you read in the text, there's more. The king even sent a little army to escort them through, to escort Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. This is how the Lord moved the hearts of the king. And this is how the Lord can move the heart of the king, because he is the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords. And this is how the Lord can move our rulers too, if we will pray. If we will pray. Many times we complain, we are sad, we are discouraged by what our secular government is doing. But I always tell myself, have I been praying for them? Have I been praying to the God of Heaven to move their hearts to be favorable to His kingdom and His people? If you have not, I submit to you: don't complain. Just shoot a prayer to the Lord. The moment you want to complain, the moment you want to moan and be moaned. And in our future studies, we will see Nehemiah being a man of prayer again and again. He never fails to pray for the work of God, for the work of faith. So maybe he never ceases praying. And after the preparation period, and also praying unceasingly for the work of faith, now Nehemiah moves on to plan to do the work of faith. And planning is important. Okay, I know many of you think that um, many of you may have heard or may study Nehemiah before as a management textbook from the Bible, a biblical management textbook. There are some elements of it you can see, but I think the overarching is not management textbook. It's really prayer and how the God works out His providence in the life of His people. But here we see Nehemiah did some planning, some unusual way. You may think. First of all, after he came back from uh, uh, the Persia, he, con- he Nehemiah conducts a survey, a personal survey of the work. Read that from verse. I mean the whole planning for the faith. You can read that from verse uh, nine to verse eighteen. You notice he walked. He walked through the different different gates. You walk to this gate and say, "Oh, I still can salvage something from this part of the wall." They can you walk again to another part? Oh no, this part of the wall is gone. I can't even find a stone left. And oh, that part of the wall I can't even walk through. My my long my mule cannot bring me through that part of the wall. And he did a personal survey, and that is very important when we want to. Do a work for the Lord. He was there on the ground to assess the magnitude of the problem, or what I would call, in management terms, he's doing a kind of swapped analysis. You know what is a swapped analysis? Somewhere else, smiling. When you read a business paper, we always have to do a swap. Swap stands for strength, weakness. What else? Opportunities and threats. Meaning you are still doing that now in school. Mm, I thought I was. I did that many many years ago when I was a student in polytechnic. I had to do some that some of which during my course of work. Meaning you are still doing this whole swap thing today. Yes, we need to do a swap, a spiritual swap, brother, to have a better assessment of the problem, to have a better assessment of our strength. Of the opportunities and also of the threats, and that is something very important 
especially in the work of faith. We have belittled that for the longest time. I hope you all remember, I you know this person called David, not David Copperfield, David Livingstone or Livingston, depending on your pronunciation. You know David Livingston? Sir David Livingston, to be exact. The world of Britain remember him as the greatest explorer of all times, or adventurer of all times. He is the one who opened up dark Africa to the world, so to speak. But you know that he is a missionary? His work is not to open a path for the British army to come in and take over the land. His work, he was sent from London Missionary Society to survey Africa, that they may be able to open up mission stations along the way from, the, from Victoria Lake like, downwards. Instead of Victoria upwards, we'll go to River Now. They are more interested in the southern part of Victoria Lake downwards. And his job is really to survey the land, to mark out all the different African tribes living along the path. Their language, their custom, how dark, is, I mean, how paganistic they were. And he note down in his many, many explorations, so to speak. And all these are four very important notes for future mission work to commence. Of course, his work are being abused. People think of him as an adventurer, as an explorer. I'm very thankful that one little book, children's book on his life, and that call him God's adventurer. Uh, that's a better word. He's really God's adventurer. He's not there to create business opportunities. He's there to further God's kingdom by doing a survey, a proper survey in the darkest part of Africa. And beside that, beside doing a survey in Himadi, something interestingly, few of us who want to do that, we thought it's unspiritual to do that, but he did something interesting. He shared his vision of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem with the people of God. He shared. At first, of course, he did it quietly, but after he had a good feel of the ground, you know, the magnitude of the task, he shared his vision with the priests, with the nobles, with the people of God. And it's important to share your vision, to share your work. Something not only to gain their support, of course, Nehemiah needs their support to rebuild the wall. He cannot do it alone. And no one can do the work of faith or work of God alone. We need one another. Especially in the church context. We need one another to do God's work. And what my friend always says, uh, he, Christian service is not your personal or even your family enterprise. Which many of us often fall into. We make it our personal, we make it our family, or even our clique enterprise. But no, not for Nehemiah. Of course, Nehemiah can get the soldiers to rebuild the wall. He have a soldier, he's a governor of the land, he has the king's uh, letters at his disposal. No, he shares his vision with the people of God. And he wants the whole community, the covenant community, to come in. Not to lend a hand, no, but to take ownership and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, the fallen wall of Jerusalem. And that's where the Church of God needs to do that. Today, whatever places we are in, we need to come together as one to rebuild or to His kingdom or to build His kingdom for His glory together. Of course, he also encourages them. And that is important that a leader need to encourage the people by acknowledging the good hand of the Lord upon him and the work ahead. Not to 
to see, to tell them, to highlight to them what the Lord has been doing thus far. You see, the, he will be rehearsing to the people of God again how the king of Persia has been favorable to him, give him letters, exit permit lah in short, give him all the exit permits, give him access to the king's forest, even give him a small army. These are already good signs that the Lord's hand is upon them, is working in them, and working through them. So he share his news. He shared that to the people. He encourages the people, and we need encouragement in the service of the Lord. A pat on the shoulder, a prayer. And it's good when you are praying for someone who is serving the Lord in any areas. It's good to tell him that, brother or sister, I'm praying for you. It really gladdens the heart that, yes, in a sense, while the person is preaching here, he knows at the back of his mind that the people are praying for him. And that really not only gladdens his heart, that grants him much encouragement to preach and to teach the word of God whenever he has been called to. But of course, we also know in the same passage that there are now plans to undermine the work of faith. And they will not go away. Now the children of the world are displeased when Nehemiah comes along to seek the welfare of the people. We read that from our text. In verse 10, then 19 to 20, the people of the world, of course their names, but collectively they are the people of the world. They are the hostile neighbors, unfriendly neighbors of the people of God. And they are extremely unhappy. They even despise, they even jeer at them when they start to do the work of God. And of course, they accuse Nehemiah and the Jews for plotting a rebellion against the Persian king. And that's something whereby they have to live through it throughout the whole rebuilding project. Accusation, falsely accused, wrongly accused. But of course, Nehemiah has a paper from the king to back him up. He has permission from the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's not plotting a rebellion. And like the people of the world, like their spiritual father, that is the devil, and the accuser of our brethren, who is always on the prowl to stop anyone from seeking the welfare of God's people by his many devices. Satan is real. And he is the chief accuser of the brethren. He will accuse us before God. He also accuses us before our, our heart, in our heart. That we are we have sinned against God. We have sinned God's grace away. God is no longer listening to our prayer because of our sin. No, 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 that's not what the Bible says. If you come to God in faith and, and in repentance, Christ is praying on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is helping us in our prayer. And we can pray to the Lord. We can come back to the Lord. Let us take heed. The world is going to call good evil and evil good. I think that you're facing that in your campus, you're facing that in your workplaces, in your homes, in the news. We read that every day. Good has become evil, evil has become good. And when we speak up for the Lord, when we want to do something for the Lord, they will oppose us. But let us rest in the Lord. His kingdom will march on. And the gates of hell cannot stand against the marching army of God's kingdom. Now, no one can withstood. Satan has been defeated. He's but only raging a eh? guerrilla warfare from time to time. 
the kingdom of God will marches on even to the darkest part of the world. Because Christ has won the victory on the cross <coughs> on our behalf. I have spoken a lot. Now what shall we say to these things this morning? First of all, preparation, praying and planning among others are required for the effectiveness of the work of faith for God. So let us work on it. While some of us are very good planners and even will give time for preparation to prepare ourselves for the work of the ministry in whatever area the Lord has called us to. I would like to, but praying is always something that lag, lag behind in the service, in the work of the Lord. Because we often trust in our own earthly wisdom, we often trust in our own strength rather than in praying to the Lord. So let us work on it. Let us work not only on the planning part, not only work hard on the preparation part, but let us pray hard. And let us learn from Nehemiah how he is always prayerful. He is an example of what, is, what I would call pray without ceasing. Every moment in his life we pray without ceasing to the Lord. And we also know that opposition to the work of faith is to be expected. It is to be expected. So let us put on the full armor of God to battle against it. Mind you, we are not battling against flesh and blood. We are battling against spiritual darkness, principalities, powers. It's a spiritual warfare against our own sin especially our own sinful nature that still remains the random of sin that is still remaining in us that is the hardest to battle against because everybody is wrong except as me I will never do wrong and there is already the sinful nature in us that we need to battle against with day by day so we, that is one of the enemy of our soul Beside the world, beside Satan. So let us put on the full armor of God. Of course, we need to modify our sin. Cut off, cut them off, kill them one by one. The sin that often causes us to the temptation, especially to stay away from all the temptation that will cause us to fall into sin easily. As I mentioned to you, to cut off the sin is not good enough. You need to cut off the temptation, the source. The source of our sin, which is the temptation. If you, attempt, you know that you are going to be tempted, and you go to certain places, then stop going to those places. If you know that instead of, you'll be tempted to spend inordinate time, I might use the word inordinate time, on your computer games, then cut off the computer games. When you are spending inordinate time, excessive time on it, this is more important than just facing the sin itself. You need to cut off the temptation as well. <clears throat> and lastly, we read in this passage how the Lord is using Nehemiah to do his work. He could have used any other people like you and me to do his work. But what is important is we are to be a vessel ready and fit for the master's use. To turn with me to Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty to twenty one. My Sunday school teacher made me memorize this verse many years ago. Not because I have lost my memory because of my old age, but I memorized it in the 
the King James Version, so I cannot recite it at will now. So let us just read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 to verse 21, and shall read to you. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. It's a high calling. It's a high calling from the Lord. In a house, there are good vessels. Some, some containers are for good use, some are for less honorable use. Some is to contain your precious perfume. Some is for you to speak into. In the olden days, they come in different materials. Some are gold, some are wood. Doesn't matter. But the Lord is reminding us, one and all, maybe what vessels are you? Are you for honorable use or dishonorable use in the house of God? If you will cleanse yourself from all your sin, come to Him in faith and repentance, and you'll be used by the Lord for honorable means. And we are, we'll be made ready for every good work. Vessel, meat, and feet, ready for the Master's use. And that's what Nehemiah. And many other God servants, they are ready and they are ever ready to be the Lord's vessel for channel blessings to others in their lives. Amen.